1: But this week, we're going to discuss two cases that were cold for decades and they were solved without the benefit of DNA evidence. The first case happened in Bellevue, Washington. Downtown Bellevue is about 10 miles from Seattle, Washington. Lake Washington separates the cities. Bellevue was incorporated as a city in 1953. 12 years later, they had their first murder. On the morning of December 4th, 1965, a man named Leonard Sunholm was calling because he had found a dead body. It was the body of his 23-year-old brother, Lauren Sunholm. Lauren's body was in a blackberry bush on the side of a rural road in Bellevue. He had been stabbed 13 times. The night before, Lauren had been drinking in a bar in West Seattle with his friend, Bill Huff. The police interviewed Huff, who was in the hospital, because he had been stabbed in the abdomen. The police asked Huff what happened. Huff explained that he and Lauren left the bar together in Huff's car. They lived in Kirkland, Washington, which is about 25 miles from West Seattle. On the way to Kirkland is Bellevue. As they drove, another car, a Buick with Oregon plates, forced them off to the side of the road in Bellevue. Huff said that two men got out of the car and then he and Lauren started fighting with them. Huff said he was stabbed and lost consciousness. When he came to, the men were gone, as was Lauren. Huff returned home at 5 a.m. and Lauren was reported missing. The police developed a wanted poster for the two men in the Buick and they released it to the public. They also offered a $500 reward for information leading to an arrest. But no arrests were made in the case. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: Shortly after the murder, Bill Hoff moved halfway across the country to a small town in Minnesota. It wasn't long before the case went cold. In the 1980s, the case was reviewed and Bill Hoff was interviewed. He maintained that Lauren was killed by two men in a road rage incident. In 1998, another detective investigated the Cole case. He conducted some interviews and he learned that at the time of the murder, Bill Hoff possibly owed Lauren some money. Huff may have also been in a relationship with Lauren's estranged wife. The detective traveled to Minnesota and confronted Bill Huff. He hoped to get him to confess. But Huff was adamant that he didn't murder his friend. The detective shelved the case again without an arrest being made. In January 2014, the Bellevue Police Department announced that they were going to focus on trying to solve the city's cold cases. A detective named Shelby Shearer was assigned to Lauren Sundholm's murder. Shearer usually investigated financial crimes. Shearer was hoping that there would be some physical evidence from Lauren's murder, possibly something that might contain the killer's DNA but he had no such luck. There were some photos and the medical examiner's report. One of the first things Detective Scheer learned after reopening the case was that Bill Huff had died years earlier. But this actually presented Shear with new opportunities. Detective Scheer contacted Huff's ex-wives and some people who were close to him. It turned out that they felt more comfortable talking to him since Huff was dead. Many of them said that Huff was an angry and violent man. Detective Shearer then discussed the case with someone from the medical examiner's office. He showed them the original report from the medical examiner's office and the photos. That's when the case really broke open. Bill Huff initially said that they were forced off the road, and then they got into a fight with two men. Huff said he lost consciousness, and when he came to, everyone was gone, including Lauren. It was presumed that Lauren was stabbed, and then he fell into the blackberry bush. Then the men fled the crime scene. After all, why would they stick around and risk being caught by hiding Lauren's body in the bush? Upon review, Shearer and the person from the medical examiner's office found a few problems with the crime scene. On the night of Lauren's murder, it was raining. The area where Huff and Lauren supposedly got into the fight was muddy. But Lauren's clothes didn't have any mud on them. Noticeably, his white socks were clean. Shearer thought that this was particularly odd because when Lauren's body was found, his shoes were not on his feet. His shoes were not found in the area where his body was found. A photo was taken of Huff's car and in the back seat, there was a pair of shoes. Detective Shearer concluded that they were most likely Lauren's shoes. If there had been a fight on the side of the road, and Lauren got out of his car without his shoes on, his socks would have definitely got mud on them. But there wasn't a spot of mud on his socks. The expert from the medical examiner's office also noted that Lauren's eyes had scratches on them. The scratches were most likely from the blackberry bush. If there had been a fight, Lauren would have ended up in the bush because he fell into it after he was stabbed and then he died while lying in the bush. Because, as we just mentioned, there would have been no benefit for them to hide the body. After all, they didn't make sure to finish Huff Off to eliminate all the witnesses. Instead, they supposedly left him lying next to the road. Also, the longer they stayed at the crime scene, the better chance someone, anyone from a possible witness to a police officer, could have happened upon them. Instead, they most likely would have stabbed Huff and Lauren and then gotten into their own car and driven away quickly. If you were to fall into a blackberry bush, would your eyes stay open or would they be closed? Most people's eyes would automatically close as a survival instinct. So if Lauren were alive, even if he were in dire shape, he would have closed his eyes when he fell into the bush. That means he would have scratches on his eyelids and not his eyeballs. But there were no scratches on his eyelids, just his eyeballs. This strongly suggests that Lauren was already dead when he was dumped into the bush. Also, Lauren's body had no signs that he had been in a fight. Had he been in a fistfight, he probably would have sustained some injuries, like cuts or bruises, and his knuckles probably would have shown signs of trauma. But the only signs of violence on Lauren's body were the 13 stab wounds. So all the evidence strongly suggests that there was no fight, and Lauren was dead when he was dumped into the blackberry bush. If he had been stabbed to death and then dumped, that means that Huff was lying about the fight. What reason would he have to lie other than to cover up the fact that he murdered Lauren? However, Huff himself had been stabbed in the alleged attack. The medical examiner said that Huff's wound was superficial and had most likely been self-inflicted. Detective Shearer once again looked at the photos. One photo was of Huff's car. Sheer noticed a dark stain on the passenger seat. There was also a pair of shoes in the back seat. Sheer thought that the shoes most likely belonged to Lauren. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows. From the Nespod Studios... Enjoy the show.
1: Based on the review of the evidence, Detective Shearer concluded that on the night of the murder, Huff was driving and Lauren was in the passenger seat. Since it was raining, Lauren may have taken off his wet shoes and put them into the back seat. As they got into Bellevue, Lauren and Huff may have been arguing. Huff snapped and stabbed Lauren 13 times, killing him. He then dumped his body in the blackberry bush and stabbed himself to make it look like they had been attacked. After his investigation, Detective Shear presented his findings to some other detectives, his superiors, and the district attorney. They agreed with his conclusion that Bill Huff killed Lauren Sundholm. The district attorney said that if Huff were still alive, they would have charged him with murder. Detective Shearer got in contact with Lauren's brother, Lee Sunhome. Lee was 25 years old when Lauren was killed. He was not the brother who found his body. Lee was thankful for the hard work that the police put into investigating the murder. He also said that Detective Shearer's findings gave him some closure. A reporter asked Lee how he felt about Bill Huff. Bill said, as a Christian, I would have to forgive him, period. No questions asked. There's no hatred left in my body. None. After bringing his conclusions to the panel, Detective Shearer closed the case. Bellevue, Washington's first murder was finally closed after nearly 51 years. The second case we'll cover in today's podcast was solved in a much different way than the last case. But it was also solved without DNA evidence. The case revolves around a woman named Ann Cameron who was born in the mid-1930s. She was raised in the small town of Timberland, South Carolina. She lived on a farm with her mother, Winnie, her father, Edward, and her two siblings. Edward was a prominent man in the area, and he was a well-respected tobacco farmer. In the spring of 1944, Anne was 10 years old. On Easter weekend 1944, her 34-year-old father, Edward Cameron, vanished. Shortly afterward, Anne's mother, Winnie, reported him missing. Winnie told the police that on Saturday, April 8, 1944, they had gone into the town of Rayford to visit some family. She said that they came home and she started making dinner. Edward was shaving in another room. Winnie said as she was making dinner, she heard a car pull into the driveway and the driver honked the horn. Then she heard the front door of their home open and close. Winnie said she called out for Edward to come for dinner. When he didn't come to the kitchen, she went looking for him. But he was no longer in the house. Winnie said that they looked outside And he wasn't there either. She also didn't see the car that she heard pull up to the house. So Winnie reported him missing. Winnie ended up hiring a private investigator, but he didn't find any trace of her husband. Over the years, Winnie rarely talked about her husband's disappearance. When she did, she told people that Edward had been having an affair with a woman in Florida, and he had run off. To Edward and Winnie's children, the whereabouts of Edward was a taboo subject. Winnie raised her three children on her own. To support her family, Winnie rented out land to local farmers. People in the community considered Winnie friendly, but tough. She was involved with civic affairs, she attended church every Sunday, and she volunteered with the Red Cross. Ten years after Edward vanished, when he filed for divorce, Anne Cameron grew up, got married, and changed her last name to Perry. Anne Perry eventually settled in Orlando, Florida. She got a job as a reading instructor at a community college. Her sister got married when she was in her teens, and she settled in the area where they grew up. Her brother moved to the New York, New Jersey area, where he got a job with a prestigious firm. In 1978, Edward Cameron had been missing for nearly 34 years. That year, Aunt Perry, who was now in her mid-40s, started having terrifying flashbacks to that Easter of 1944, when her father disappeared. She remembered on the evening of Easter Saturday, her parents were fighting. The next day, her father wasn't around, and went into a room that the family rarely used. She saw her father's body lying on the floor with his feet close to the door. He was naked, but his hip and groin area were wrapped in gauze. She also noticed some blood was on the gauze. Anne was 10 years old, so she was old enough to understand that her father was dead. She soon had another flashback... It was of her mother washing some pots and pans. The water she was washing them in was bloody. And I also remember that on the night she saw her father's body and saw her mother washing the pots and pans she was awoken from her sleep. It sounded like someone was doing some chopping in the kitchen. She remembered she got out of bed and she looked out on the porch. On the porch, there was a large cardboard box. Also, that night, she thought she saw someone moving around the backyard. The flashbacks disturbed Anne. She decided to ask her mother what really happened to her father. At Christmas 1978, Anne confronted her mother and accused her of killing her father. Winnie flat out refused to talk about it. In early 1979, Anne was hypnotized by a psychiatrist she was seeing and she had another flashback. This memory was from about a week after her father went missing. In the 1940s, the family's farmhouse didn't have an indoor bathroom so they used an outhouse. Anne's memory was that one day after school, about a week after her father went missing, she went out to the outhouse. She looked down the hole to the sewage water. Staring back at her from the dirty water was her father's face. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows Enjoy the show.
1: An psychiatrist suggested that she contact the FBI. So she called the FBI and explained her story. The FBI decided to get in contact with the Hoke County Sheriff. The sheriff knew Winnie Cameron because she had been a staple in the community and a friend to his family for decades. The sheriff set up a wiretap on Ann's phone line. He then had Ann call her mother. Ann asked her mother if her father's body was still in the toilet. Winnie said she would tell her where it was after Christmas. To the sheriff, this was a damning comment. It told him that Winnie knew her husband was dead and not missing. She also knew where the remains were located. This all suggested that Winnie had something to do with Edward's demise. Based on the wiretap, the sheriff acquired a search warrant for the farm. The sheriff thought that the best place to look for human remains was under the outhouse. The sheriff learned that a few years after Edward went missing, the outhouse was demolished and the hole was filled in. Nevertheless, he had searchers start digging up the area where the outhouse had been. On December 13th, they found some human bones. But Winnie wasn't arrested that day. The next day, they went to arrest her, but she wasn't at home. Winnie had some woods on the property and they were searched. Her vehicle was found inside the woods. Inside the vehicle was the dead body of 69 year old Winnie Cameron. She had taken her own life by shooting herself in the heart with a 32 caliber handgun. Inside the vehicle was a suicide note. The entire contents of the letter have never been made public. What is known is that in the note, Winnie confesses to killing Edward and dropping his remains into the outhouse water. When the outhouse was being dug up, a wallet-sized photograph of a young woman wrapped in plastic was found. It's believed that the woman was someone Edward was having an affair with when he was murdered. On Easter weekend 1944, Edward may have told Winnie that he was leaving her for the other woman or Winnie somehow found out about the other woman. Nevertheless, when he snapped, he killed Edward. Because of the state of Edward's remains, a cause of death could not be determined. What was clear was that Winnie had dismembered him after he was dead. The sheriff said that he believed that Winnie decided 35 years earlier, when she killed Edward, that she would take her own life if it ever came to life that she had murdered Edward. Supposedly, Winnie never told anyone what really happened to her husband. After Winnie's death, the police considered the case closed.